Gresham College presents Cyberspace, Security and Democracy, an introduction by Professor Tim Connell. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. In the uh, strongest traditions of Gresham College, let's start precisely on time. Um, first of all, uh, under the terms of the will of Sir Thomas Gresham, who died in 1579, could I please ask you to switch off your mobile phones? Uh, which actually includes myself, I'm sorry about that. Right, um, now, um, democracy in cyberspace. Um, having just had a very pessimistic conversation with one of our guests, I'm not too sure that's not a contradiction in terms. But we will be hearing today about how we can protect ourselves better when going online, how to protect ourselves if things go wrong, or quite possibly when, and what can be done about criminal activities in cyberspace. The one thing we won't be doing is telling you how to do it. So if that's what you're hoping for, you can switch off now. Um, now, can we do these things without impinging too much on everyday life? Because cyberspace, the internet, everything from Google, Wikipedia, to the time of the next bus down at Waterloo Station is actually somewhere on your mobile phone, and it's therefore somewhere up there. First of all, what are we actually talking about? I found myself going through layer after layer, the deep web, and its associated creations, the deep net, the invisible web, the hidden web, which in turn morphs into the dark web and the dark internet. Ironically, the need to have an online system which was capable of hiding itself from prying eyes was created for the best of reasons by people such as journalists and human rights activists in countries where their activities were frowned upon. And there's also clearly a need for places which are not immediately accessible to people from outside. Think about banking details, um, think about science research data, for example. Now, of course, this very quickly turned into criminal activities. It's a yin and a yang. If you get something good, it's only a matter of time before you get something bad. And we then see criminal activities creeping in, ranging from money laundering to child abuse. And it has to be said, by an outsider with ten thumbs admittedly, that it is horribly easy to set yourself up uh, inside the dark web. And no, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. But I was very shocked, because um, as I have recently explained to the Metropolitan Police, I did go into various places to see what was there, and it was absolutely shocking. Firstly, what you can find, and secondly, how easy it is to get in there. And the websites which tell you how to do it put a disclaimer at the bottom saying, of course, we strongly advise you not to get involved in all the stuff you press a button and you can access if, strictly speaking, you wish to. That was a joke about the Met, by the way, of course, it was the City of London, but there we are. Um, now, three years ago, we ran a symposium entitled Armageddon in Cyberspace, which can still be seen, courtesy of the web, of course, on the Gresham website. Today, we're looking at democracy. I hope we can be a bit more positive. I slightly doubt it, but I thought we could start off, considering we have an American on the panel, with Abraham Lincoln and his definition of democracy being government of the people, by the people, for the people, which is quite applicable, I think, in these circumstances. Of the people, well, the internet has made so many things publicly available and accessible, and so much of it can be controlled, and yes, it can be hidden by individuals. By the people is an interesting one. Yes, universities will have a postmaster to keep some kind of order amongst students, which is a fairly hopeless task, but whatever you do, don't send an email saying the party went down a bomb. 
because within about 30 minutes you'll get a message from the postmaster saying, we noticed the use of inappropriate language in your website, would you care to come and have a word with us? Um, and of course, uh, mentioning the United States of America, Beaver University had to change its name to Concordia, and that's true. Um, we may well be hearing something more about specialised organisations which are there to protect us from subversive activities. But perhaps the best protection would be if people would only take the proper steps to protect themselves. And I think we might be hearing a bit more about that as well. We look both ways when crossing the road. Um, we wouldn't open the door to a stranger. So when you get an email from a friend saying they've lost their wallet in Manila, could you please send $500 to the following email address? You might give them a ring first to see if they are really in the Philippines. The first time that happened, I did actually ring up and say, are you really in wherever it was? And of course, we all know that's a well-known scam. We have to be netwise in the same way we tell people to be streetwise in the big city. Though I have to say, some of the banking scams in particular are getting to be really quite sophisticated. Now, for the people, well, most public organisations have their homepage, FAQs, links to other services, even if then the advertisers muscle in and bombard you with all sorts of things you don't really want to buy. Spam filters have saved us from all those Viagra adverts and those um, offers of sincere friendship from scantily dressed ladies in the third world, which we were getting very frequently only a few years ago. Though, curiously enough, I got two last week, um, not about Viagra, I must admit, um, and I did get the Manila scam as well. And I really thought that my junk mail was going to catch all of those things. Having then gone into my junk mail, I was rather disappointed to see there are 127 similar items which had arrived in only the last week. On the other hand, genuine clients, you can use the internet for everything from the address of the local dry cleaner through to um, an update on the floods in York. And there is a website if any of you would care to um, donate. Now, with regard to democracy, we might be a bit more circumspect than ever we were about saying that we live in a free country. The concept of free speech is not perhaps as clear as it was. And as far as our online rights and responsibilities are concerned, whose rights now come first? That, I think, is a question which is often being asked. And if you have to combat those who are determined to subvert, damage or destroy the system, without resorting to underhand tactics, or the very least undeclared ones, whose validity or legality may come as a result of some political fudge. And whose law, which country, which jurisdiction do individuals or companies come under? How may people be challenged or faced with the due process of law? And loopholes, if not entire cracks, are sure to appear and be worked on by people who obviously have the technical knowledge to do these things. So we're facing new legal challenges as a result of the invention of technologies which until recently would have been considered impossible. Yet we can look at precedents. It is illegal to tamper with the mail. It's actually illegal to open somebody else's letter. So very curious that the European Court of Human Rights has just said that employers can read the uh, emails written by their employers in work time on the work computer. There are some controls there. Um, whereas if they were to open a letter waiting in the post, that would be breaking the law. Um, there are examples in history of trawling up transatlantic cables in order to listen into them, or in time of war to cut them. Putting bombs in letterboxes was common in the uh, troubles in the 1930s. But to live within the law, we need to know what the law actually is, and preferably in advance of unwittingly breaking it. So the lawgivers, 
I'm looking at one or two people here, need to understand what it is that needs to be controlled or curtailed. And the enforcers of the law need to know how they can successfully bring a prosecution. There's nothing worse, something happens, everyone knows it's wrong, and there's nothing on the statute book which is able to stop it. Now, in an extreme case, is it acceptable? You see, I said switch off your mobile phones. I really thought I had. <laughs> this is my daughter. This wasn't a setup. <laughs> uh, this is a new phone. I'm not quite sure how to switch the damn thing off. But uh, anyway, the call's in. I shall stamp on it, yes. Um, is the right to know absolute? Are there any limits to transparency? Should we entitled to call to account government, the armed forces, public services, the security services, every possible supplier of services that you can think of as and when we please. Can and indeed should everything now be considered as confidential? I well remember the furore when it was first suggested that students should be able to see the marks on examination papers. And we were told that the sky would fall on our heads, tidal waves would destroy London and who knows what. As it happened, we used to say to students, well, you've done quite well, I can't give you the mark, but it's not as low as 54 and it's not as high as 56. And actually publishing the marks led to our scrutinising the whole examining process far more closely than I suspect we had done before, which in many ways I think was a possible thing. Now, can and indeed should anything now be considered then as confidential? I don't think references are that confidential anymore, for example. And it's rather odd that when privacy has never been so valued and so much spoken about, um, nor indeed has Article 8 of the Human Rights Act 1908 been so uh, often quoted. As you all know, I do this in memory, of course, everyone has the right to respect for his private and family life, his home and his correspondence. It doesn't say electronic or otherwise. There shall be no interference by public authority with the exercise of this right, except such as in a, is in accordance with the law and is necessary in a democratic society in the interests of national security, public safety, or the economic well-being of the country, for the prevention of disorder or crime, for the protection of health or morals, and for the protection of the rights and freedoms of others. I can see hundreds of legal cases going on for years on half a dozen of any of those headings. So, all in all, cyberspace and everything in it, from the mobile phone to astro-navigation, is not only here to stay, but is developing at a pace which is hard for many of us to comprehend. A powerful force for good, but with plenty of scope for evil. How can it be channeled, controlled, managed and directed properly? Should it even be? Is total security compatible with total freedom? And can there be a middle ground which is comfortable to all sides? That's something for us to talk about today, and I'm very pleased to introduce Sir John O'Reilly, um, we're just about to change the... Oh, no, they're already up. That's good. Um, chairman of NICC Standards Limited, Era Foundation Limited. Ample experience of ensuring that telecommunications actually communicate. He has an extensive CV, which you might care to read through the programme, but he's someone who's worked extensively in the field of electronics and innovation. Sir John. For further information, please visit gresham.ac.uk.